welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road, a church with congregations in Guildford and Woking in the UK. To find out more about who we are and what we're up to, please visit us online at EmmausRoad.com. Good morning. How are you? Good. Some of you are good. Um, that's excellent. I was just saying to Theo... Um, uh, he, he said to me at the start, he said, I'm not going to my group, I'm staying for the music. And I said, and he said, I'm then going out. I said, that's probably a good thing, because I'm speaking after the music. So, uh, and he particularly, Joel, likes your song. He, uh, we, I was just saying to him just now that um, you wrote that last song. Wasn't that last song great? It, it was really good. Um, I, I don't know if you've ever had this thing where just, doesn't matter how many times you've heard it, if it's a piece of music or it's a song or it doesn't matter how many times you've seen it or it doesn't matter how many times you've been there, every time you experience that thing, it sort of wrecks you all over again. That's kind of how I feel about that song. Um, so thanks, Joel. It's really, really great. Um, let's, let's just pray as we start. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is living and active and has, you have things that you want to say to us as we look at it together. So would you speak to us now? In Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, uh, as many of you know, I was a teacher for uh, a number of years before I um, became a vicar. And uh, I worked in a school and uh, we came back at the end of the school holidays, the summer holidays, and the dining room had been painted a completely different colour to the rest of the school. Well, I say the dining room, but it wasn't the whole dining room. What had happened was that uh, the front, uh, the, where the stage was, because it had been a sort of a school assembly hall, had been painted a sort of very 1920s green. And that had kind of followed the trajectory of the wall at a certain angle to a certain point, at which point it had just stopped. And we were back to um, boring old blue after that. But it, it, it just sort of stopped. And I, and I said to um, the school business manager, what, what, what happened? I mean, you know, it's interesting. And he said, oh, we had a, we had a, they were making a film in the school over the holidays. And so they said, could they paint the stage in the front uh, part of the, of the hall uh, for, in 1920s green? So that's what, uh, that's what they did. And he said, they offered to kind of repaint the whole room, but we thought, no, it kind of looks all right, really. Um, but the weird thing was, uh, it, it didn't really look, great at all. It looked really weird. It looked exactly like what it was, which was like a set. It looked like everything that was supposed to be in shot looked 1920s, and everything out of shot looked terrible, sort of school, cheap, blue paint. And I've thought about that often, and just this idea of um, the lack of congruence in that room. And what I mean by congruence is it wasn't, it wasn't uniform. Uh, it wasn't all the same. There was a difference about it because it was trying to be a 1920s hall in a film and a school dining hall f- for the rest of us for the rest of time or at least until the building gets knocked down. So um, I want to talk a little bit about uh, congruence this morning and what it means to live uh, an authentic life. And I'm going to take a story from the Bible and I'm going to uh, just explore that with you. That's okay. So I'm going to read to you uh, from the book of Samuel, chapter 16, Verses 1 to 13. You will know the story well, um, I'm sure. The Lord said to Samuel, 
How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I've chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he'll kill me. The Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived in Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come and sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, do you have any other sons? There is the youngest, Jesse answered. He's tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he brought for him, uh, so he sent for him and brought him in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and, was ha- and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon, Sam, upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. I just want to read you uh, one of those verses again. The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance. But the Lord looks at the heart. We live in something of a sort of multiple personality disorder culture. And what I mean by that is we just get confused about all sorts of things. On the one hand, we say we want integrity and we want honesty and we want people to be true to their word. On the other hand, uh, what we have is this culture where we are obsessed with PR, with our own PR, with how we're perceived by other people. And it means that the levels of anxiety are rising wherever we look, wherever we talk to people, there seems to be this sense of just confusion about who they are, who they feel they should be, who people expect them to be. And it's endemic, as I said, we see the increasing numbers of particularly young people but people of all ages actually, experiencing this anxiety, this lack of congruence, this lack of authenticity. They don't know how to be authentic. 
anymore. And the story is really pretty graphically illustrated in, in the story and its context that we've just read. So if we were going to break this talk down into two parts, the first part would be man looks at the outside. So what had happened is the people of God had established themselves in the promised land and they had started to look around and they had started to look at all the other nations. And one thing they noticed is that all the other nations had kings. And they said, well, maybe we should have a king as well. And just in doing that, what they had forgotten is that the Lord had promised to be their king. And Samuel the prophet is deeply troubled and upset by this. And what God says to Samuel is, they haven't rejected you, they've rejected me. And so he says, let them have a king. So they kind of have this big search for who could be the king. And they, they set out a, a, a criteria, like a job description of what would make a good king. And it needs to be someone who's strong and tall and good looking and good in battle and has a charismatic personality. In some ways, many of the things that we look for in our leaders today. And what happened was they land upon this guy called Saul. And Saul starts really, really well. The front of stage, the bit that's in, the, in shot, if you like, the bit that's the front of the school hall looks great. The problem is when challenge or difficulty or opposition comes, there's a lack of congruence. What happens is what is in front of the camera does not match the character behind it. Another way of thinking of congruence is that is the uh, congruence is when what is on the outside is reflected uh, on the inside, or our character is reflected in how we operate in the world. And that was not the case for Saul. He was proud. He was arrogant. He was insecure. And we can forgive him for many of those things because put in his position, I don't know about you, but I probably would have been exactly the same. I would have sort of um, swung between feeling massively confident and massively insecure. Suddenly I'm asked to be king and there's this huge expectation that's being placed upon him, really to do the impossible because they're wanting him to be God in human form. They are wanting him essentially to be who Jesus was. And even when Jesus came, we, the people then decided that, that he wasn't what they wanted either. And there's this moment that comes in his story, in Saul's story, where um, the people of God have been called to sacrifice. They've got a big battle coming up. And Samuel is a little bit late. And so what happens is Saul looks out at all these soldiers waiting uh, to go to battle and looking at him to take a lead. So he thinks, I I know what I'll do, um, because this is not looking good for me. This is looking like I need to show leadership in this moment. Even though Samuel has said, wait for me, I I will be there, that part of his character that is impatient and is more concerned about what other people think than what he has been told to do, kicks in. And so he says, don't worry guys, I'll do the sacrifice. The only problem with that is only the prophet could offer the sacrifice. So in that moment, he steps into a role that he was never given, that he has no authority uh, to operate in. 
and, uh, and they have the sacrifice. And as far as everybody out there, all the soldiers go, think, it was great. What happened was great. The problem is, is that while people look at the external, God sees the heart and he sees the motives. And what he sees is someone who is more concerned with what other people think and his own PR, if you like, than what he has uh, said. And it wasn't a suggestion, it was a command to do. Samuel, uh, Samuel turns up at the scene and he knows exactly what's happened. And he gives Saul the opportunity to kind of fess up. But rather than taking responsibility for what he's done, he said, well, everyone was getting nervous and everyone, so I just, I, I did it anyway. So he, again, perhaps understandably, uh, makes an excuse and does not own the mistake that he made. And in that moment, what God says to Samuel is, I've rejected him as king. The people wanted a king. They got the king they wanted, but they have not got the king they needed. And so from that point on, uh, the spirit of the Lord departs from Saul. He faces all sorts of difficulties, all sorts of challenges. And, uh, and we've picked up the story just after that, where, where God has said, we're going to raise up a new king. And so what Samuel does is Samuel does what we would have done. He thinks, what's the criteria? And he thinks, again, well, we need, he has in his criteria, like many of us do about many things, a criteria of what he thinks the right kind of leader would be. So he goes to Jesse's house, and in that culture, the eldest son was the one who would be the heir. So he, he, he taps into a cultural expectation of who he thinks the king would be. The problem is, God's not particularly interested in our cultural expectations of who we think should be a leader. He's interested in something else. And uh, the eldest son, in so many ways, ticks so many of the boxes, doesn't he? He's got authority, he's got leadership, all these things. But God says, he's not the one. I'm interested in his heart. I'm interested in the, the substance of his heart, not how he presents himself to the world. And it's interesting, later on in the story, uh, even after David has been anointed king and he goes back to looking after the sheep, which we'll talk about in a minute, he goes to give his brothers supplies and his elder brother is just cruel and unkind. And you think, wow, God saw something that Samuel didn't. He saw the substance of his heart. So this happens seven, seven, seven times, seven sons pass by, and every time you must think Samuel's getting to the point where he's wondering, why am I here? Like, it's not number one, it's not number two, it's not number three. It's not, and eventually they get to this point, like, apparently Jesse has run out of sons. He says, anybody else? And Jesse at that point goes, oh, yeah, well, there is one other one. You won't be interested in him. He's actually looking after the sheep. In, in other words, he is so not important that he is the person who spends his whole days getting smelly uh, and stinky and dirty looking after our flock. Well, Sam says, well, bring him in. And as soon as he does, he sees, well, God says, this is the one. And I, I don't know about you, I sometimes wonder what the internal dialogue in Samuel's head must have been. You know, I don't know about you, I learn some things. It takes me a long time to learn some things. But if I was Samuel, I'd be going, okay, Saul wasn't a great king. 
we've had seven people who are eminently eligible to pass, uh, to be king, and they've all passed by because, so they're not good enough. And then this teenager walks in the room, and like he looks nothing like what I think a king should be. Are you sure you have this right, God? Because like this doesn't play well. And God goes, he is the one, because he has this uh, congruence about him. What you see is what you get. So what can we, and and we know the story. Do you know what's so interesting? One of the things that interests me most uh, about the person of David isn't when he beats Goliath, and we'll talk about that in a second. It's the fact that what would you do if you were made king? Well, I, I know what I would do if I was made king. I'd you know, change a lot of things quite quickly. And, uh, and, and I would move into the palace and I would enjoy, like, you know, frankly, the good things that life had to offer, probably. Don't fire me. Do you know what David does? He's anointed king. The next time we hear about him in the story, he's back with the sheep. He hasn't let it change who he is. He hasn't suddenly taken on a different persona. He has continued to be himself. That is what an authentic life looks like. Someone who continues to be themselves regardless of the situation that they find themselves in or regardless of when the context of that changes. So interesting, isn't it? That when he goes out to fight, well, actually, I'm getting ahead of myself. So how can we learn to be more authentic, more congruent? Well, there are two things. So if man looks at the outside and God looks at the heart, how do we apply that to our own lives? Well, the first thing is we need to work out a way of being authentically ourselves with God. Uh, We have a head start in this in that God already knows what we're really like. Uh, I don't know about you, but sometimes that doesn't make me massively happy Um, because I find myself often praying the prayer. I don't know, did anyone ever write a diary as a teenager? Well, I found my diaries recently. It was just toe-curling. It was so embarrassing. It was so embarrassing. It was so embarrassing for a number of reasons. The first was the fact that, uh, you know, uh, well, there's just lots of talk of lots of girls that I fancied, which is just embarrassing now. Um, but, But more, it's the fact that I... As I read it, I realized I was writing my diary in case someone found it. Do, do you know what I mean? Just, just in case someone found it, uh, this was the me that I wanted people to read rather than the me that was necessarily going on. Some people are laughing because they get it, and the rest of you are just like, you are definitely a loser, Bill. That's okay. <laughs> I am very comfortable with my loserness uh, in that stage of my life. So... Um, uh, And the same is true with our relationship with God. I don't know about you, sometimes I pray the prayers that I think God would like me to pray. The problem with that is, is that the only prayer that God wants me to pray is the one that is coming out of who I am, out of what my situation is. And what I love about David, you read the psalm, the the prayers that he wrote in the form of the psalms, and they are raw, and they are honest, and they are real. And, and, you know, he calls a spade a spade. He's fully himself. I'm angry, God. Vindicate me. Strike them down. I want revenge. And the thing is, God already knows that. So all he's offering God is what God already knows. And it's amazing how, as he does that, God begins to change his heart. 
But the more we fake it until we make it, we realize that we don't make it at all, at least not with God. Because what his, his great heart for us is that we become the person that he longs for us to be. And we can only become the person that he longs for us to be if we start by being the person we are in front of him. And this is reflected time and time again with David, whether it's in the Psalms or whether it's dancing, worshipping in his underpants in front of people. He just didn't care because he wanted, he was just himself before God as if no one else was watching. He was not writing the Psalms like I was writing my teenage diary. So if the first thing is being authentic with God, the second thing is being authentic with other people. And what's so interesting about David in contrast to Saul is like David made his fair share of mistakes, like having an affair with someone, killing the husband and trying to cover it up. But when he was confronted with the truth, he owned it. He owned it. And that is what made him authentic with other people. He, he, had, he, he, was, he, he owned his mistakes. He was real. He, fe- like he fessed. I mean, he was, in that situation, he was forced to fess up. But he fessed up. He had these extraordinary friendships with people. You read about uh, the different levels of friendship he has if you read the, uh, read the whole story. But he had this one particular friend, Jonathan. And as I've read that, I thought, I wish that I could have a friend like David. And then I felt challenged, I wish I could be a friend like David. So Jonathan is Saul's son. Jonathan should have been king. And yet he sees something in David that he knows uh, his father certainly lacks. He sees the making of a king. And one might argue that the reason why David became the man that he was or grew into more of the man that he was is because he had a friendship with someone who saw something in him that maybe David didn't even see in himself some of the time. But there was this lack of pride. There was this lack of insecurity in their friendship. They were honest with each other. It said, you know, they loved each other like brothers. And they could have this deep friendship. There's real authenticity in that. And and Jonathan knew that the David, the leader, was the same man as David, the friend. That is what it looks like to be authentic with others, where we are so secure in who we are and in the fact that we are loved by God but we're also loved by people that we stop pretending and we just continue to be. Where we don't mind saying, this is what's going on in my life. And we have to get the balance right, don't we, between being authentic and being real and sort of um, emotionally hemorrhaging over everybody we meet. You know, wisdom is knowing the balance and knowing the context and knowing who to do that with and where's appropriate to do that. But I suppose if I, if I had to choose between the, t- the, well, 
I was about to say if I was going to choose between the two, I would choose to be more of the latter and less of the former. I'd rather not pretend than be myself. But wisdom, as I said, is knowing how to balance that, how to be authentic. Because we know we live in a part of the world where there is an element of keeping up with the Joneses. There's an element of, you know, everything's great. I've got a great, you know, people have got, you know, you've got a great job, you live in a great house, you've got, a, you know, whatever. And there can be an element of just kind of wanting to present that to people. And actually, that is not the sum of what makes people people. You know, the house they live in, the car they drive, the holidays that they go on. That's not the things that make and build deep friendships. The things that make and build deep friendships are saying, do you know what, life's really tough. I'd love you to pray for me. Or life's great, and I just wanted to celebrate the fact that, you know, this has just happened with you. That is what authenticity looks like. So, while man looks, people look on the outside, God looks at the heart. I want to encourage us to be a church that is more interested in the interior life, in the scaffolding that holds the person up, than the house that is built around that. That is more interested in the foundation than, you know, the, the trimmings. I'm mixing my metaphors, I'm so sorry, but you get what I mean. Because just, just to wind up, the challenge that we have is we live in an age where seemingly it is okay for, for leaders to not tell us the truth. And I, I, this is, just to be clear, this is not about Brexit. This is not about my personal view of Brexit or any other particular issue. But we live in a, I was listening to the news the other day and um, I remember when I was growing up, if a politician was found doing something um, that one might consider morally questionable, they resigned, that there was no question of them not resigning. And we found ourselves in this place, in this time, in the Western world, where politicians can... Well, let me put it like this. If a politician can lie to his friends and lie to his family... Why is it okay for us to think that they won't, that they should, that they are good representatives of, of us and that they have our best interests at heart? Why do we believe that if a politician can look his partner in the eye and lie to her because he's done something that worked for him, that that makes that that, in, that doesn't matter? I look at what is happening in, in our in, in our country, and I look at what's happening in other countries, and I just find it staggering. And I guess the question that I'm sort of trying to work out in my own head is whether we get... So part of the problem is we have got the leaders that we deserve. You know, where we as a culture have become so focused on the external that, we, that, that actually we want somebody who makes us laugh, who's funny you know, who kind of tells us the things that we want to hear, even if they happen not to be true. I, I don't have the answer. It's, I'm partly externally processing with you, and I hope you forgive me for that. But as a church, we have called, we are called 
to be people who what is happening on the inside reflects what happens on the outside. And that means all of us. Okay, we are gonna, you know, we're gonna get we're gonna make mistakes, we're gonna get things wrong. All of us are gonna do that. But can we make a decision together that we're gonna be more like David and less like Saul? We're not gonna cover it up, we're not gonna make excuses, we're gonna own our mistakes and in, as individuals and as a church, and we are gonna be actually what everyone out there is longing for us to be authentic, real, messy confuse sometimes people just trying to work out how to get home. Why don't we stand? Father, we are so mindful of the fact that the only one who is perfect is you. We have all made mistakes. We will all make mistakes. We will all struggle with working out how to be authentically ourselves in a world that on the one hand longs for it and on the other hand spends most of its time pretending to be somebody or something else. And Lord, as a church... As a family, would you help us to be people who are real, who are authentic in front of you and who are authentic and real with each other? We know that that is what the world is longing for. And Lord, we know that as we do that, we form more fully reflect who you are. So would you fill us with your spirit again? Would you give us confidence that we are known and that we are loved by you? And that that is enough. That we are known and that we are loved by you and that that is enough. That is enough to enable us to be real in front of you, to be our, our true selves in front of you. And that gives us the security and the anchor to be our true selves around other people. I'm just going to invite the band to come back up. And um, the way that we're sort of going to respond is, if it's right, Joel, we're singing that great song you wrote. Um, because I think, for me, what I'm learning is there isn't a way. There is, you know, the, the, when we sing, the Father made a way where there was none. The Father made a way where there was none. There is no way of being authentically ourselves without Jesus, without understanding that there, there was no way. There was no way to be redeemed by us. We cannot redeem ourselves. We cannot shake the things about ourselves that we struggle with by ourselves. But thank God, the Father made a way where there wasn't one.